So you like bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames With Godfathers 1 and 2 But not so fast, we've got a podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, Bon Vivants, welcome back to the We Like That Too podcast. This is Brad Jones, and of course, joining me is the head Bon Vivant himself, Mr. Keith Inloo. Hey, how's it going? And as you might notice, we are not in the happy confines of the We Like That Too Bon Vivant International Media Center. We are in a special place. We are on the road, Mr. We're on the road again. This is going to have a different sound, this show, which is okay. But we are coming from a very special place. We're excited about this one. special place. Special, special place. That's right. You want to tell everybody where we are? No, we're in Herman, Missouri, the beautiful village of Herman, Missouri. And we're here at Stonehill Winery, which is one of the oldest, most established Missouri wineries in Herman. And I'll let you introduce the guest, but we're going to have some fun today. We are going to have some fun today. We are actually in the lab. We're in the lab. We're in the lab here at Stonehill, and I, it is a thrill, and I'd like to welcome to the We Like That Too podcast, Mr. Sean Turnbell, the head winemaker, head bottle right. washer here <laughs> at Stonehill. Sean, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks well, for being with us. Thank you. Yeah, good afternoon. It's great to have you. And as you might notice, Sean has an accent. Right. Which Sean, is, Sean is, which not a is local. cool. That's it's right. Not, he's a local just, boy now, but yeah. he's not originally from here. Tell us where you're from, Sean. I'm, I'm a little bit of a southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, the, probably the longer the show goes on, the more the southern accent will come out. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> you know. But no, I'm, uh, I'm originally South African. It's funny enough, April 8th. Is the day I get sworn in as an American, so then I'm oh, getting my well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, my citizenship. Oh, that's, so that's um, outstanding. My wife got hers about a year ago. So yeah, it's been a long, yeah, long time. So well, I can tell you to get that, you know more about American history than the average sixth grader does. That's right. I, I do. Actually, the, <laughs> the average high school graduate. <laughs> yeah, you can ask me all hundred questions. Actually, uh, know a little bit. They make it. They make it actually learn the Constitution, don't they? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Well, first of all. I want to congratulate you yeah. on your 175th birthday. And you don't look a day over 170. I'm just telling you, Sean, you're, you're holding up really well. No, it's all that red stuff I drink. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's good for you. It keeps you cleaned out. No, yeah. I tell you what, Stonehill is 175 yeah. years old. Yeah. That is amazing. And it is. And an important part of the history of uh, not just this area, but really the whole state of Missouri. Right. Uh, with right. the immigrants and, and folks that came to this great state. And uh, we've alluded to that before on prior programs. You know, we had Jim Anderson on from uh, Missouri Wine and Grape Growers. And uh, right. we talked about the Missouri River Valley and what uh, when German immigrants came to the United States, how it reminded them of home and the topography and the the, the soil and weather was similar. And so... They settled here, and they they knew they could grow crops and grapes and things like that here. So, 
Uh, it's got a rich German heritage. So yeah, that's that's Herman, Missouri, and and Stonehill was one of those originals. Well, the interesting thing is, it was sort of put together by some people in some Germans in Philadelphia. Yeah, there was a group called the German Settlement Society of Philadelphia that wanted to have a German area way out west. Yes, which is where we were at that time yep. they had a guy named Bayer who actually was uh, George Frederick Bayer who was actually the founder of of Herman who was responsible for this group to come and purchase the the land and they had their struggles just like anybody else that came out west yeah. and uh, yeah. it's a great story it's an interesting story but what they brought with them was that great heritage of winemaking, beer making, the things that they did best, right. and uh, the important things. Uh, the important yes. things, and, yes. and Sean, in in your way, you are taking up that mantle, really, of everybody that ever came before you. No pressure or anything. But. <laughs> yeah, no, I've thought about that before. You know, it's kind of a privilege. You know, especially if you look at all the old cellars. I mean, it's not like you see that every day. I mean, working in still historical. Sellers that was used back in the 1800s to make wine. So that is kind of cool. Let me share a little story with you. So I've worked in the States in 2003 as an intern um, out in Napa Valley um, for Heights Vineyards. That's when it was still owned by um, the Heights family. The, the assistant winemaker, his name was Joe Norman. Now, my knowledge of American viticulture and grape growing and winemaking kind of was only New York, Oregon, Washington, and, and uh, California. I didn't know that anybody else would be growing grapes, especially in the Midwest, you know, because mm-hmm. that climate is not, you know, very favorable for it. So anyway, so Joe was telling me about his background. He used to work in the Midwest somewhere. You know, um, made wine when I was really young. This was in the 70s. Never thought anything about it. You know, it was just one guy telling me his background. So then I started working here. And I worked with Dave Johnson for a very long time. Dave Johnson was started at Stonehill in 78, year I was born. So um, <laughs> now I worked with Dave and, uh, you know, we um, one evening... You know, we were talking about, oh, him and John, the owner, they were talking about Joe Norman. I was like, wait, hang on a second. Is this, who was Joe Norman? So Joe Norman was the winemaker before Dave. And then I worked with Dave. And was, then it was, was Joe the original winemaker after the Held family bought the, the, uh, Stonehill in 65 then? I believe so. Yeah. That yeah. he was kind of, I think the first professional they hired. And so the Bobby Von Snow, we're, we're working now on a third generation of right. Held, Held family. Right. Yeah. Uh, you had the original Helds. Jim and Betty. Jim yeah. and Betty mm-hmm. that uh, started. And I can't imagine what the place looked like when they took it over because it, they didn't do much, right? No. I mean, so It, it kind of st- sat. So before Jim and Betty, uh, we'll backtrack a little bit with the history. We're kind of going to be all over the place here. Maybe I should start from the beginning. Right. Why don't you that's, do that's, that's, Yeah, let's start at the beginning. But yeah. being all over the place is not unusual for us. So <laughs> okay. Don't worry about that. Um, we haven't even tried the wine yet. <laughs> a man after over. my own heart. Usually I'm the one that is called out for saying, hey, we need to get to the wine. But let's. we're doing something different today, Bombi Vance. And this was Sean's idea. And I actually love it. We're going to do a vertical flight. We've not okay? done a vertical no. flight. So, so this is a first. So I'm going to let the expert tell us what we're tasting. But this we've got three glasses in front of us. And uh, you'll see those pictures on the website when we post them but we've got three different vintages of the same wine so sean tell us what we're doing so yeah i thought it might be interesting um to do three consecutive vintages
percentages because I mean, yeah, we can do one bottle, but that's just like one snapshot, you know. And so I thought it might be a little bit more interesting to kind of compare vintages to each other and just see how shamers and changes. Because sure. the one thing here in Missouri, you know, it's uh, we're very uh, Mother Nature plays a very big part in what we do around I, I here. I kidded Jim so. Anderson. I said there's two numbers that you have to know about Missouri wine: zero and one hundred, because those are the de- those are the temperatures that our vines oh. have to put up with. <laughs> yeah, I mean. That's- <laughs> That's crazy. So, you know, we're at the mercy of, of that. So uh, we, we can see differences, you know, in, in years, I think, much easier um, than in some other parts just because it's fluctuating so much, sure. you know. And it seems like, you know, from what I've heard and just my personal experience, it's, it's been getting a little bit warmer. And everything is being like pushed back a little bit. Spring is pushed back, summer is pushed back, and harvest has been moved up. Uh pushed back a little bit pushed actually. Back a little so bit more. this like twenty twenty one was our second harvest. That's been like a week, two weeks later than normal. And we didn't really do anything different with uh, regards to pruning. It's just kind of a growing season thing that's happening, I think, because to me, the summers are much more milder than when I got off the boat. It was really super hot. I mean, and. um July, August has been more milder, you know, like in 2020, um, we grow a grape called Tremonet, you know, it's my least favorite variety to work with because I think we're too hot in Missouri for Tremonet. That's just my personal anecdotal opinion. But in 2020, we had really low growing degree days and we had a lot of uh, cloud cover as well. You know, so it didn't get too hot. And for me, that almost helped ripen the Tremonet more because you know if it gets too hot the vine just shuts down right it it doesn't really do anything and then you can get stuck with really better phenolics that tremonet does produce we really got it ripe that year and that's my favorite tremonet out of all so it's 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 a very good example of of just you know how the season can differ and with chamberson you know it's a um it's a mid to late season ripener and normally, you know, we get kind of coolish towards the end of September and already into October. It, you know, it starts cooling down. You know, the leaves will start turning yellow. So there's not much that the vine can do anymore except, you know, get nutrients for overwintering. So it doesn't really put a lot of growth into the berries at that point. So, again, you can get stuck with a grape that's not physiologically ripe, you know. And tell, tell us a little bit about the Chamberson grape yeah. because those aren't – Chamberson's not, not grown everywhere. It's not a varietal no. that's – you know, available everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Samerson, uh, is actually, it's a European grape variety. Johannes Sable, I think is the guy back in, uh, I don't know. I'm very bad with history. He was the guy that kind of came up with Chamberson and, and the reason for that, because of where it grows, you know, Chamberson's a little bit more cold hardy. The parentage is not really sure, um, what it is. I mean, I've looked into that, but the Wikipedia couldn't tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it became available in the States, I think, in the 1960s, and uh, especially in the Midwest. And I've actually worked with it in Virginia, even. In Virginia, we used it not as a single variety. It got blended into other red wines because of that uh, superior color. You know, as you can see, you can actually see through the glass. Now, Norton, that you guys tasted before, that's pitch black. I mean, you can't even see through the glass. So... This is by no means the same color standards as Norton, but so this is a hybrid grape variety. Right. For me, it's one of the hybrid grape varieties that's very close to vinifera. So vitis vinifera being, you know, like all the commercial Cabernet, Sauvignon Blanc, or the royal, the royal grapes, yeah. as they call. Right. We we can't really grow those grapes here in Missouri. Some producers have tried, but because of the climate, you know, we experience this very cool or cold winters, like you said, the zero degrees. That can kill a grapevine. It can really damage the 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 wood 
Especially, so. especially a, a grape is. Uh, persnickety as as like a Pinot Noir grape. Yeah, you know, especially. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you tell our Bon Vivants about the Chamberson is closest to Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. So, okay. so this uh, is a Midwest Pinot Noir. Yeah, so I couldn't wait. So I have to agree. I already tasted this. <laughs> So, so I like to, I'm into the 17. So, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this while you're talking. Go so, ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Pinot as well. I like my Oregon Pinots, um, kind of entry level, you know, the $20 range there. You know, it's kind of a house wine for my wife and myself. You know, it, uh, we normally don't pair wine with food. We pair it with a glass and, <laughs> you know, so... Um, I got to remember that Can one. we use that? I I'm don't pair it with food. I'm still pair, on that I pair it with a glass. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, we're looking for something that's very accessible that we can just drink whenever we want right. around a fire, right. the chimenea, or just, you know, even the way we cook with wine, you know, is we don't put it in the food, we drink it. And Pinot and Chamberson to me has got very similar almost nuances, you know, aroma mm-hmm. and, and pellet structure right. a little bit. Right. You know, Chamberson obviously will be a little bit higher in acidity because that's the nature of the beast. Color is very comparable, but uh, it's much more of a bluer tint in Chamberson. And that's just, again, it's the variety. But you would get similar plummy notes, raspberry, sometimes blueberry notes on it. You know, on the palate, um, if you look past a little bit of acidity, there's almost that similar um, herbaceous staminess that you can find in a Pinot Noir as well. And also the, the tannin structure is not that big neither. You know, it's very accessible. No, very smooth. And you get these sweet notes to it as well so we yeah. our chamberson is aged in um older barrels i do treat the barrels or the, the wine with a little bit of oak chips as well just you know as part of the spice rack and that's what give it that sweetness that butterscotch vanilla you know kind of creme brulee note to it as well you know so it just complements the fruit aromas because keith is forged ahead you've got before us here a 17 18 and 19 Stonehill Chamberson. Stonehill Chamberson. So, Keith, I, what's your initial thoughts well, the, on, on the 17? First of all, I the, just tried it. The nose is phenomenal. I, it is. I, I love the nose, and it's one of those wines, and I've said this before, I, I sometimes judge a wine by what I can taste on the nose. And that is, I get so much off the nose that I almost don't have to put it in my mouth. <laughs> it's always different when you put it on your tongue, but you know, I enjoy a, a big nose, and uh, this has a, a a really good nose. I agree. It's very Pinot Noir esque. Not only in color, it's it's a little deeper in color than some Pinots. It's not as translucent as some Pinots, mm-hmm. but I like those bigger, darker Pinot Noirs. I tend to. I like the acid on this. Well, and I think Sean does too. I mean. Because Oregon, you know, I, I love the Lang, the Lang folks up there. They make a great one in Ponzi. I mean, there's, you know, if you go to Dundee, you can swing a cat and you hit some of the best Pinot producers oh, yeah. on the mm-hmm. planet. You know, it's, they're everywhere. But I thought it was really interesting, Sean. We, we did a show with Doug Frost, the man, mm-hmm. you know, the only four, oh, yeah. four people in the world that have both a master sommelier and a master of wine. And, and I thought his comments, Keith, about, Shamerson was very interesting because he said, oh, yeah, we do Nortons and stuff. But he said, I think when I take some wines out to California, I take Shambersons, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a really interesting comment. He said, our Shambersons have come such a long way in Missouri, and I'm so proud of the way that they've developed. Yeah. Congratulations, my friend. That's a good one. This 17 is wonderful. Well, and Brad will tell you that I tend to like old world wines. Mm-hmm. I, if I had to choose, I'm going to go old world. And I really like the acid on this because it it's reminiscent of more of an old world style, more acidic, a little more uh, 
earthy mm-hmm. at times, but but the finish on this to me is very smooth and subtle and and silky. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's what we're aiming for. Yeah. It's definitely drinkability. Um, if you do like pairing food and wine, that acidity definitely helps. You know, yeah. you can cut through any fat. You know, you can pair it pretty much with anything. This that's you can, what I call I call Pinot's the O positive of wine yeah, yeah. because it go, uh-huh. it'll go with yeah you can. it'll go with anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Yeah. Fish, meat, salad, yeah. you name it. You know, it'll go with it. And also, the acidity helps to um, finish the wine off as well. It gives you a lingering finish rather right. when. You know, those soapy wines, which has got a higher pH, lower acid, you know, they're, they're kind of just kind of slick on the tongue and, and very short on the finish. So, Well, that's another way I judge a wine is how often do I have to go back to the glass to keep the flavor on my palate? Mm-hmm. And this has got a nice long finish. This it's, one really stayed, hangs around. It's stayed yeah. not only on my tongue, but on the roof of my mouth. I can still taste it after putting the glass down. So, you know, the reason we're doing this vertical tasting is so you can obviously see, like, the differences in here. Okay. So I'm going to try and remember my best now. 17, for me, was probably, in, in, you know, from the time I've been here, um, 15 and 17, those were the best red wine years because we, we able to get, like, the Norton and the Chamberson, which is late-ripening varieties, we were able to get them right. So what that means, it's lower acidity, so it's going to be more in balance. So what I do with wine, what I try to do is get the wine in balance. So I try to get the aroma, the flavor, the sweetness, the acidity, the tannin, and the structure, everything in balance, you know. I, I'm, I'm more, my winemaking philosophy is more that, like you said, you got to go back to the glass and drink more, but not searching for aromas or anything like that. It's just out of enjoyment. You shouldn't even be thinking what you're drinking. I mean, that's like, you should just enjoy it. I mean, that's kind of the thing for me. It's all about pleasure in, in the, in the glass or in the bottle. And what's that? That's balance, right? You well, want to get a that, balance. And that hits on our whole philosophy of wine drinking in general. And that is, you know, don't put anybody down because they like sweet wines mm-hmm. or don't do, you know, don't be an asshole about it. If there's something you like though, take the journey. If, if Chamberson is, is the, the grape or Pinot, Try a bunch of them. Try a whole bunch of different kinds. You know, don't go home and drink the same bottle of wine every night. We're in the golden age of wine right now. You've yeah. got so many choices out there and things that you can try. And, and you know, that's how you develop a palate. There's things you like and you th- things you think, well, you know, that wasn't my, my favorite. I don't need that one again. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. You know, and, you know, as a winemaker... I would imagine you've got probably that same. I mean, you look at all of the different kinds of wines that are made here at Stone Hill. It almost speaks to that philosophy. You know, if this isn't the one that you care for, by golly, we got one that that you, right, you'll right. like that you're yeah. going to like. Yeah. You know, it's kind of we're not forcing anybody to drink a wine, right? You know, that's kind of. You know, touching back a little bit on my South African roots, it almost feels like back in South Africa, it's like you're forced to drink one style. It's like the industry dictates what you got to drink. Has it changed it, a bit? Um, not really. I haven't been back there in a while, but you know, I've, I'm, I'm still keeping up with the wines being imported to the US. I like to drink those wines and the, stylistically, it's pretty much still the same, you know. Missouri is not really a wine culture, right? I mean, yeah, we've got a lot of history here, but it's not, we don't have a lot of people that's, that's their first drink they're going to go to, 
you know, it's more of a beer right. background. Yeah. You who, know, who, who were brought by the same Germans. <laughs> I mean, right. yeah, right. we, we, we have a little place in St. Louis called Anheuser Busch. Anheuser Busch, and there were several about <laughs> yeah. about this time mm-hmm. that yeah. were also, uh, you know, over there too that that started making a little beer. So. Yeah, but I mean, so what, what we're trying to do is we we like to please everybody. You know, and you don't have to be a snob to drink wine or you don't have to be that type of person or anything. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, you know, so we try to give people that beauty. I think wine should be enjoyed by everybody. And that's kind of how I approach it. You know, it's like actually some of our um, bigger um, blends, the more sweeter wines that you were talking about, like our Concord, Pinkataba, Golden Rhine. You know, we make um, fruit flavored wine now as well. More time is spent making those wines than actually like Norton, Jamerson, really? Chardonnay, like our higher end wines, because those are, uh, it's wines that the palate has got to be perfect, you know, and uh, it's big blends as well. There's a number of different varieties and types of wines going in there, you know, so that's kind of the fun part of it is like my favorite time of the year is like February, March, because that's when we sit down here in the lab and just start blending you know and then then i can't drink on the job because, I mean, <laughs> so, um, but always but, a nice benefit yeah i mean that's i think that's cool because you can tweak certain stuff here and there you know and i i really enjoy it like walking outside you know and then i always check like what what are the people drinking you know what bottles are in front of them and you know are they having a good time and I mean, to me, that's the biggest gratification is just yeah, people, people having a good stuff. time. Yeah, yeah cause, you, bet. Uh, you bet. You know, it's like my wife and myself, I mean, we normally, you know, that's when we go on vacations, we chase alcohol. That sounds bad, but <laughs> we, we base our vacations on like certain areas, you know, like we'll go to Oregon. Mm-hmm. We'll go to Washington State uh, for wine. Um, we'll go down to Southern California, San Diego for beer. I mean, I got a lot of breweries out there. Um, the next place we w- would like to visit is Arizona, you know, kind of check that, you know, wine yeah. region yeah. out. And it's also, it's beautiful out there. So yeah. there's other stuff to do too. So, you know, that's kind of our go-to thing. And, and, you know, we always have a good time with a bottle of wine. So and it kind of makes it more special almost because it's just, it, there's more senses going into it. Like you were saying, you know, all right. the olfactory senses go into it. Well, and you mentioned too, even from season to season, but even, you know, we, we've talked about this on the program. You know, we're not sophisticated enough to pick up on it, but from second to second to minute to minute, wine is ever changing. And, you know, the minute it hits the barrel, the minute it hits the bottle, the minute it hits the air, every time you swirl it in your glass, it's constantly changing. So mm-hmm. you're, you're getting variety even in one single bottle, yeah. in one single mm-hmm. glass. And that's what I like about it. But, uh, I've moved on, I've moved on to the 18. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm an overachiever. I'm a, <laughs> he's an overachiever. <laughs> so this is what I get off of this. I do not get the bigger, as big a nose off of the 18 as I did the, the 17. Well, it's a little bit I, more sweeter. And I don't get the acid that I did on the, mm-hmm. on the 17 either. The 18 is a little bit more fruitier, fruit forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little oh. bit more in that sweeter raspberry, cherry, a little bit more jammy. Right, more under sure. nose. More fruit. Almost a little bit of coconut on the nose there too. The palate, uh, yeah, like you say, I don't get the acidity. Um, it's a little bit more one dimensional. And the finish is more kind of smokier. There's a little bit of a wax on the palate as well. This to me is more of a, uh, you know, the palate seems to have more flavor to it. New world, old world, this is fruit forward mm-hmm. versus acidic forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if if you blinded me, I would say this is a new world yeah. wine. 
Yeah, that's know. kind of the style we're shooting for here right. as well, you know. Yeah. Um, Do you remember 18 being, was there a climatic Yeah, what, what, yeah, what, what might have affected that that year? Um, you know, that might have been a warmer year, if I remember correctly. It was just more mediocre for me. Chamberson is very um, sensitive to crop loading too. You know, sometimes I've found, I'm not a very culturist at all, I don't, I don't have green fingers or anything. If I look at a plant and dies, um, what we get taught, you gotta really be careful with your crop loading. So always less grapes on the vine, you know, than what you think. But you always gotta think back asswards to some of these varieties that we deal with, you know, because the canopy we deal with, the canopy being the leaves, the shoots and all of that, it's so luscious and so vegetative. It just grows, you know. You put a little amount of fruit on there. So again, the plant is not gonna be in balance. It's just gonna put all the, all the growth into the, into the vegetal parts, which is the leaves and stuff like that. So then what you end up with is a very green tasting grape variety. Think of, uh, you know, if you like Cap Franco, Cap Sauvignon, the Methoxypyrazine, that green pepper bell pepper that's a good example mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. you know that, that flavor that you can get from it now so you got to think a little bit back as where like i said so crop the thing heavy you know what that does it kind of pulls the canopy back into into balance you know so then the, the vine puts more a little bit more growth into the, the fruit again and i think that's what what kind of happened in that year and the opposite of that i guess sean would be if you've got areas of the world you're basically growing in sand you know, we're getting to terroir, we're getting to the land going into the bottle eventually. And, you know, also hearing you say is this is what we do here. This is the, the kind of vegetation that we have. It's lush, it's green, it grows. Right, right. You know, it's amazing to me when you look at pictures of some of those old gnarly vines and they're growing, it looks like they're growing out of rocks, oh, you yeah. know, but you can taste that kind of minerality. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, when you try those kind of wines. And yep. I think that's exciting. I think it's just, I think that's what makes trying different wines so fun. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and as you said, and to travel and to try wines is, is the best. I wanted you to tell us a little bit about the actual vineyards themselves. The number of acres that Stonehill cultivates, where are they? Are they close by? Are you guys growing all your grapes? Are you sourcing any of your grapes from other locations or farmers who just provide them? Tell us a little about that. Our vineyards are all located around a winery, and the furthest vineyard is about 20 miles away down south okay. on Highway 19. We own and grow 180 acres of our own grapes. Uh, we supplemented with a grower from down in Springfield, Missouri. We like to keep everything as much as possible sure. Missouri. You sure. Know? So the grower down in uh, Old Mountain Grove, you know, close to Springfield, right. he's been with the winery over 30 years. Oh, wow. You know what? We'll, we'll buy some Catawba from him. But yeah. pretty much the majority of our crop is, uh, is our own that we grow ourselves as well, you know. So nice. um, it's a little bit spread out. We've got, uh, f- top of my head, five properties that uh, the vines are on, um, the biggest one being just south of Swiss. We've got uh, Concord, um, Tremonet, Vignol, Catawba, and Velvet Muscat on that one. Uh, another bigger farm of ours, we grow our Vidal, Chardonnay on there, and then we've got other vineyards for our Norton as well as Chamberson. And we grow a variety called Vincent, um, which mostly will go into our red blends, Stein Red, um, our Sangria, a little bit into Concord, you know, that's just to supply color. Each vineyard is different. Norton is a really good example of out of actually the difference you get in, in the vineyard. The, the closest uh, vineyard to the winery is about three miles um, to the west. It's actually on, on Jim and Betty's property. It's called the Cross J Vineyard. 
um, and we make a, a, a single vineyard wine from it. Um, that vineyard is very close to the bluffs, uh, very close to the Missouri River. It's got different soil. It's got blown sand soil, so its drainage is much better. Um, the roots can penetrate a little bit more deeper. Um, and then our other uh, Norton vineyard is, is about six miles um, also southwest of town. You know, that's not as close to the river. That's got more clay soil to it. So drainage isn't as good. Um, roots is a little bit more shallower. And it's it's really kind of cool when you, when you taste the wines next to each other. If we keep the, the, the grapes separate. We make separate wines from it. Right. Um, the Kemperberg vineyard, which is the more clay soil, that you get violets, blueberry. The structure isn't as big, but there's nice grainy tannins there as well. Where the cross J has got more of that earthy, um, raspberry, red fruit, a little bit more cedar, mint notes to it, you know. So it's cool just how soil and site yeah. can influence yeah. all of that. Well, the cross know? J is a recognized award winner for Norton's, right? I mean, you, it, it's been... Yeah, we had uh, a very uh, well awarded wine over the years. Yeah, both our our estate Norton, which is a blend of the two vineyards, and then across Jay, which is a single vineyard, and yeah. they're um, pretty well recognized. And um, Dave Johnson, you know, he's got a lot to do with that. You know, he focused a lot on on Norton, and um, you know, Norton is Missouri State grape as well. Right, right. But you know, a lot of effort went into how to grow it where to grow it, winemaking as well, because the chemistry is so bogus. I mean, it's not the easiest red wine to make. It's got high acid, high right. pH. You can't get it in balance, you know. It's got no tannins. It's got a ton of color. It's, yeah. Excuse <laughs> well, me, it's a mess. But, um, <laughs> well, we, we uh, I've, I've done a little research on the Norton grape for some freelance writing I did. And Dr. Norton came from Virginia. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Virginia, you yeah. know, uh, viticulture and a lot of that stuff moved west from mm-hmm. from the east coast, and uh, that's where the Norton grape came yeah, from. Yeah, and, and C.V. Riley, he was the state, what was he? He was one of the guys that was pivotal in exporting Missouri cuttings over to Europe to help save the European that's right. you know, industry Rock, from phylloxera. Right? Yes, exactly. that's right. And that all came from Missouri, you know, so yes. them French never going to recognize that. But <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> evidently, evidently, there is a monument somewhere in That's France correct. that yes. is that is a tribute to the, to Missouri for yeah. saving their ass. More than but once. Again, <laughs> I yeah. should say. So uh, no politics, no nah, religion. No politics, no religion. Hey, Bon Vivants, don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, Bon Vivants, you know when We Like That Too was launched, we knew very little about what was needed to promote the podcast online. That's right. So we turned to Greg Arnold at GAA Consulting. GAA Consulting was a lifesaver helping us get things started. Greg is a small business owner who loves helping small businesses grow. He takes the time to listen to your business goals. GAA Consulting will custom design your website and create a digital marketing strategy to help you reach those goals. Every project is tailor-made to meet your small business needs and preferences. And Greg can teach you to manage things yourself, or you can hand things over to him and he'll lighten your workload. You know, if your business needs help building an online presence, visit GAAConsultingLLC.com. That's GAAConsultingLLC.com. Custom solutions for your small business needs. And thanks to Greg for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Bon Vivants. Now back to the nonsense. 
All right, I've moved on to the 19. I know you, you have. Ask your and, question. And the one I saw upstairs, and I don't know how long you've been doing the rosé. Now, is your rosé from the skins of the Chamberson, or how are you doing your rosé? Uh, rosé is a, that's a mess as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, I'm not a I'm not a big rose or like I like to call it the brose guy, you know. Yep. <laughs> so neither neither was Dave. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these winemaking techniques. Okay, it's like if you go if you look at all the the regions where they make rose Provence and wherever else, they would sanye it or, or make it from the skins. Right. You know, they would draw right. the juice very early from the skins and then from there treat it as a white wine. We've tried that. We did it with Chamberson. And it doesn't work. You know, the color is too dark. Yeah. For some other reason, and I haven't figured this out yet, it's like when, when you treat Chamberson as a white wine, like you sanye it, you know, off the skins and then you ferment it as a white wine, there's always too much diacetyl, that buttery note that's being produced, especially when it aged in a bottle. And I don't like that. And that's not a good thing to have with... With a, with a rosé, you know? Right. I don't know if you had any when you were in Oregon, but the thing I loved about the Oregon rosés, they were light, they were crisp. Mm-hmm. I call them patio pounders. Oh, These yeah. are the ones you open them and all of a sudden they're empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we're getting into patio pounder se- season. Yes, it's we warming are. up. And that's kind of why I brought it up, because you've got some, some light, crisp kind of, just easy oh, yeah. drinking. Like you said, don't have to think about it too hard. You just pop them open, get them cooled up, and mm-hmm. you're ready to go. I don't drink as much white wine during the winter as I do during the summer and, and rosé. But Brad and I do like a good dry rosé. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys I, are brosés. I, I, I we're brosés. We were ahead of the curve on that. We've been doing that for several years. Rose, dry rosé got popular here in the last three or four years. Actually, that's a funny story because Brenda and I went out. We stayed in Dundee, which mm-hmm. is right, you know, that's like ground zero, right in the middle of Willamette Valley. And there was a little winery right downtown. And we went in and this guy looked bored. I don't, I don't know. He hadn't had many, much business that morning. And so we tried several. We had good pours and stuff and went outside. And she said, which of those did you really, really like? I said, I got to tell you what. The rosé actually was one of my favorites. She said, mine too. And so we started it. Right. You did. No, I I give you all the credit. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, in Missouri at least, rosé was always what we called white Zinfandel. It was was not really sweet. It was not Zinfandel. It was was a sweet white wine made pink. Was it Sutter Home that made the first white Uh, Zinfandel? I think think so. so. Maybe. But it was to sell to a certain market that wanted a, a sweet. Mm-hmm. crisp wine and so uh yeah we've yeah. moved away from that right. i mean we got rosé montaigne which is more in that style you know sweet zinfandel style yeah. i took a guy that's an american fella that worked in new zealand a long time and obviously he had a little bit more exposure to rosé i took him he was an assistant winemaker here for a while and then also my assistant that i've got now which is a female which i think is a little bit better suited for no offense to you brosé guys but <laughs> you know they're Females have a little bit more of a special palate their when it comes to delicate wines, you know. So are, uh, have been proven to be more expansive a so lot of times. I just leave it up to to them to do. And yeah. well, so basically, what we did is we redesigned the whole rosé. We we don't use Chamberson is a very small percentage of it now. Actually, we there's five different 
wines in our rosé now, and it's kind of engineered more towards that kind of palette and more to modern rosé. Okay. And it has improved a lot. You know, I actually enjoy it now, too. Well, I'm going to try a bottle of it. It's, I know that. That's yeah. a challenge. I mean, that's like. one of the wines we have the most challenge with every year, just to make it taste delicate and give it that, you know, we're looking for the strawberry, raspberry, you know, note to it, and... It's dry, but it still have a little bit of perceived sweetness on the palate, where it's just that sweet fruit that, that comes through. And, sure. um, yeah, it's tough to get that right every year. I'm always the most nervous. And I mean, I will about say that, that when I'm, when I'm pouring wine for people who are maybe not very adventurous, they think they only want their Moscato or a, you know, a Shannon Blanc or Pinot Grigio, something like that. If I can pour them a nice dry rose, they usually like it. Mm-hmm. It's a nice transition maybe toward a drier type of wine. Mm-hmm. I like it. I, My philosophy, Sean, is we get uh, drier and redder the older we get. Yeah. The older you get, the more bitter you get. <laughs> I think all I think all three of those are true in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> Why drink IPAs now? Yeah. So we're on, uh, keep yeah, an eye on our 19. Our 19. Tell uh, us about the 19. So 19, again, was a good vintage. Really you know, warmer and just again that prolonged heat, you know. Um, but definitely, probably the 19 out of these three is the most um, one dimensional, a little bit to me. Um, you know, I like the more complex 17 and 18, where 19 is much softer. You know, it, it, to me, it's got a little bit of a herbaceous note yeah. as well. Which is more typical Chamberson, actually. It's, it's one of the key things I try to get rid of is that herbaceousness, you know, and sometimes it's just more difficult than other, other years, you know, so. I'll tell you what's fun now that we've gone through all three to go back. Yeah. And that's a good because, thing. Because this, the 17 actually smells. I haven't tasted it yet, but, and of course it's been in the glass for 20 minutes now, but it, it, it has a different nose than it did at least when I initially tasted it. For me, it's more floral. On the nose, the 17. Yeah. And got a little bit of perfume to they're, it, too. They're all three very nice, but they are distinctly different. Different. They are. And I, I thank you so much for yeah, doing this. This is a great idea, Sean. Thank you for, because for we, letting us uh, sample these. I do have my favorite, but which I is would it? drink any of them. Which is it? I'm going to go I'd be with interested the seven. Here. I, the 17 was it was my favorite. I thought the 17 with the acids, and I, I thought yeah. it was my favorite, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, but, you know, if that, if, the, if that was a good year, I mean, that, there's... Something to be said for the right weather conditions when you're when you're talking about growing grapes. So yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, but I actually like the eighteen. Do you like the eighteen? Yeah, it's got a little bit of a cigarette ash note to it as well, which I kind of sometimes like a pencil shaving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of like that in wine. You know, it's almost like it's got a little bit of grip to it too. I, I, like I said, I like all of them. I uh, I think they're all very drinkable, very approachable. You use the word approachable a couple of times, and I I agree wholeheartedly. And it, it's kind of interesting, Keith. The story of Stonehill is not that different than some of the stories of some of the big vineyards in California. Right. You know, started by families. Everything went hunky-dory until, of course, we had Prohibition, and we grew mushrooms here, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so um, so yeah, back in 1847, I think is when the doors opened here for Stonehill, and it was the second largest winery in the U.S. Right, biggest one was in Ohio. I'm not sure the name actually of it. Yeah, I mean they produced back then 1.2 million gallons. That's, now we're the second largest in the state, and we produce 250 to 300 thousand gallons. So it, yeah, it's, I saw that a big. million too. I'm going. That is a lot of I mean, wine. Norton was a worldwide wine that was enjoyed 
globally mm-hmm. back in those years. And it was a thing because we could do it. And right. There were other places. Right. It was a, it was maybe, maybe it was exotic. It was kind of like the Malbec. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Not everybody it, it was, can grow it. Was it was certainly mm-hmm. enjoyed and recognized worldwide. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at the window now, you see his houses way back in 1800 it was just vineyards. I mean, there's some uh, photos up, up in the sales room where you can see it's just vineyards down here. So they, they were really hot on that. And, um, the winery did well, but then actually it was the, the distillation industry that, that kind of petered the winery out. And, and Stonehill back then also made some distillates as well. And then the, um, prohibition was a nail in the coffin. Yeah. It just yeah. shut it down. They still made a little bit of, uh, communal wine. We've got a right. Catholic church here in town. Right. But it's like you said, you know, it turned into a mushroom cellar. So what happened between, you know, the end of prohibition then and 65 when the Helds bought the property? So yeah, it was a mushroom cellar and I guess then it, Shut down as well, and, and had another proprietor. Not sure what he did with it, but he actually approached Jim Held, and Jim Held at that point he was a hog farmer. He dabbled a little bit into into grape growing. I think he had an acre of or so of catawba that he was growing. So this guy approached Jim because he thought Jim was the perfect person, you know, to take on Stone Hill and take it forward. I know John likes to tell. That his dad at that point only had like $2,000 to his name, you know. Wow. So, so they, they took a chance, moved the whole family up into the winery, the wine, the main building up there. And they, they started, you know, small back then. They had this little cellar that they used and it just grew and grew and grew from there. You know, what, what did that? They were hard workers and they were serious about what they were doing. And the they, cellars here at know, Stonehill are, yeah. are something to behold. I mean, they really are. It, you you go in and you feel like you're in Europe. You know you're yeah. in one of the old European cellars in there. Well, let's uh, let's big. not brush past that. You know, uh, if if you're we talk about travel on this program a lot. If you want a little destination trip in the United States that's different, Herman, Missouri, and the Herman area offers a lot of different things uh, from wine to beer to bourbon, whiskey, uh, bourbon. There's yep. distilleries now. There's uh, actually this this weekend we're going to be enjoying Worst Fest, which is a sausage festival. There's, and, there's women as well. It's not only yeah, guys. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, know. I was uh, deciding whether or not to go there, but that's that's all right. You did it. So, um, and and bed and breakfast, all sorts of uh, unique inns and restaurants and things like that. So uh, check out Herman, Missouri, if you're looking for a, a nice little getaway. We love coming over here. It's so fun. We really do. And Worst Fest, Worst Fest has become this. It's become a thing. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, it's fun. And then you've got my fest in May and then every weekend in October. October, October is the fest, big, big one. October yeah, fest is strap on your leader hose yeah. and, and come on over to Herman. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's going to be, it's a, it's really a good time. Yeah. The down explodes. You bet. That's right. Yeah. What are we talking about? You, you, we say approachability. What about accessibility, Sean? What are we talking? That's price the points dark arts you're talking about now. I get locked up in the cellar just making this stuff. I don't sell it. <laughs> no, dark, I mean, we're, we're talking arts. about, if I remember correctly, it's about, between 15 and 18 bucks yeah, yeah. a bottle and we sell it at the winery if you want a destination you can also get it in st louis kansas city jeff city you know and, sure, and, and sure. supermarkets like schnooks 
Let's see what High V, um, I think Mechadoos or Mechadoodles, yeah, up in Colombia. Yeah, it's probably available yeah. online from some distributors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Too. We, yeah. we actually, yeah. you can buy it from us. We have an online store. Sure. We've got a shipping yeah. department. We'll ship it out to if, you. If you. Missouri yeah. plays well with others when it talks to ship, when it talks about shipping wine. Well, yeah, you bet it does. No. So, <laughs> so um, I mean, we're, Throughout our whole range, actually, we're we're very well priced. All yeah. our products, I mean, yeah. so and very affordable, yeah. very affordable. This has been amazing. It has. This and has we could go on and on. So but much fun. We probably need to get to our top three. It's top three picks time. It's top three picks time. All right, what are we doing? I'm going to let you introduce. Today this we one. decided. Yes. Uh, barbecue season is upon us, and so we decided to talk to Sean about our top three barbecue experiences right. or places we've been. And I, I thought this was going to be I, easy. It's I this do, was, it's, no, it's this not. This was even it's harder. Impossible. I yeah. do have a question for Sean, though, before we get into this, because I think almost every country has a tradition of some sort of outdoor cooking of meats, oh, whether yeah. it's called barbecue or whatever. Is there a South African cooking technique or tradition that would be equivalent or even called barbecue? Um, we don't have a tradition in South Africa. It's called a religion. Oh. <laughs> well, you're oh, right. At, you're right at home. That's then. like that's like Kansas City. That's like Missouri. <laughs> yeah. So we call it uh, actually a braai. That's, okay, that's the Dutch term for it, and um, that's barbecue as well. In South Africa, is mostly um, mutton, sheep, yeah, um, yeah, red meat, pork, chicken. Uh, if you live by the coast. You can get um, lobster, or we Seafood, call it crayfish. Yeah. I yeah, mean, you yeah. can. Um, we've got this one fish in South Africa that you, you go on a Friday to, like the BP or something, and the and the fishermen will be standing on their boat selling this. It's almost like a barracuda. Yeah, I forgot actually what it's called. Yeah, in English, but um, it's this huge thing, and you just throw that on a barbecue or a braai, you know. And, and it is like over coals or open yeah, fire. Is use, that the technique? We use actually real wood. Yeah, that mm-hmm. you know, not uh, gas. Yeah. Or anything like that. Well, there's um, still some pur- purists here who, who yes. use real wood <laughs> okay, good. and coal. So, so I'm in good yeah. company then. Yeah. 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 But no, yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny actually, the one, the one farm I was living on, um, it's unfortunate to say, but there was Cabernet and that virus. So there was a lot of, um, uprooting of vines. Uh, but it was awesome for barbecuing. I bet it made great. <laughs> Grapevine wood. I bet that is great oh, yeah. barbecue. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's all in there. It's actually funny. Yeah. We, we pruned this Norton vineyard out here at the, at the winery. I was walking through the other day and I was like, oh boy, there's some cuttings here that I'm going to use. And I've got a South African intern working with me this year. And he's, uh, I think he's going to take the gator out later and load it on there and take it home, you know, so you nice. can't miss an opportunity like nice. that. Nice. Let me give you my email address. No when kidding. You no. Dried, dried uh, yeah. Norton clippings. No I, that would incredible all right so i just wanted to know what your background was with that but let's so here's how top three picks works you know we'll just go around the table one pick at a time we usually let the guests start first uh, we do uh honorable mentions so we're not bound by three and in this case we're going to probably have a few honorable mentions your one of your top three barbecue experiences uh go well i have to admit i'm a, a vegan actually i don't need meat I'm kidding. <laughs> well, no. But, well, well, I didn't. Well. I didn't know that. But what well. I'm saying is, even even vegan t- cooking techniques now are taking on all sorts of different techniques. Smoking tofu. Yeah, tofu will melt through the grill. I know that. <laughs> Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta sell a smoker or a barbecue somehow. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, barbecue is it's kind of what I still do. I'm not, I'm not a good cook. I'm learning to to cook now. I think my wife got tired of cooking, so I saw the food stop coming in on my plate, so I had to, like, you know, make my own food. So, but anyway, the only cooking I do is, like, on the fire or barbecue. So, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, 
I don't really go out much at all. I, I'm going to be the most boringest person you have on this show. <laughs> so, you know, all the, all the barbecuing I can relate to is just at folks' houses and with, with yep. people, you know. Um, well, that's what's your, that's what's okay. Your, what's your favorite thing to what, well, have I, you, normally have you I can't go remember to? because what goes with grilling, especially now I'm smoking. So I'm, yeah, I, I've got yeah. a, I, I had a Traeger. That thing is too noisy. I like to sit by the fire. Really? And it's like I've got the bloody air conditioning running the whole time because it's got like induction, you know, fan. Yes, that's good to know because so, I'm in, I'm actually in the market. So I, I'm, that's good to, that's yeah, a put good, it on the other side of the that's house. That's a good note. Or if okay. you got like loud music playing, it's no problem. Okay. Keith, right. Keith's just, collecting, Keith's collecting comments you know, at this yeah, point. No, yeah, no, that's good to know. I hadn't thought about that. So, um, I bought an egg, finally. Yeah, and and it was my egg. Christmas gift to myself. Yeah. So I bought it that final week. We had good weather. Yeah. And then the next weekend, I wanted to egg. Snow started. So I had to, I had to nest the egg for two months. <laughs> so I only busted it out like three weeks ago, and I couldn't, I can't stop making food on the egg. So what, what's mm-hmm. your favorite thing that you've cooked on it so far? Well, I've made brisket. I made tri-tip. Um, mm. I made ribs. The ribs turned out really good. I made St. Louis style ribs. Made baby back ribs. Yeah. Um, the Traeger I was actually still used for like smoking trout. Yeah. So I've got a cowboy steak in the freezer, and I'm saving. I've done it like reverse sear, just on a Weber. I'm a reverse sear fan, and it worked awesome. So I mean, you know, the egg you can get up to like 500 degrees, no yeah. problem. Yeah. So you can sear. I did the tri tip like that, and it turned out phenomenal. I, I gotta throw a shout out to Meter. You have to have a good temperature control. You gotta have a good probe. You're you know? right. Yeah. And meter to me is a really good probe. I mean, it really yeah. works pretty yeah. good. So they've designed something very well there. We're getting a little off track, but Sorry. for the Bon Vivants out there, we need to talk about re- reverse sear because it is a different technique. Yeah. Traditionally, when you talk about cooking steaks, your French trained and high end executive chefs will say, Hard sear first and then finish lower in an oven mm-hmm. or basting with butter or whatever to cook to the middle. It, it, you know, and you can do that and it's very effective, but you typically get more of a hard sear to a gray to a brown to a pink to a red center. Mm-hmm. The reverse sear technique is you start low. It's got to be at room temperature. That's oh, one yeah. of the keys. You got to mm-hmm. have your meat product at room temperature. But you thawed, use you get, get a probe, yeah. you get a probe, and you cook to your internal temperature, low and slow. And then once you hit your internal temperature, throw it on high heat for a couple of minutes on each side to sear, get the hard sear. And what you have then is a sear, an even red or pink center, whatever you're cooking to, juicy with a hard sear oh, yeah. on the other side. Mm-hmm. And so it's even, it's an even cook. And I'm a huge fan of it. I, I highly recommend it. That's the way I do all of my, my stuff now. Oh yeah, me yeah. too. I mean, yeah. talking about reverse sear. So, um, I was out at, my wife and I were out at Dave Johnson's house one evening. I think we were playing cards or something. Dave and I was getting hungry. We had the munchies. We didn't smoke anything. <laughs> um, we were just hungry, you know, and um, Dave was like, I don't have anything really to eat, but I've got this uh, got this frozen ribeyes. Let's just go throw it on the bobby. So we did a reverse sear. We low and slowed it. Yeah. And then just reverse seared it off there. And that was like the best ribeyes yeah. I've ever. Yeah. We just salt and peppered it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that was it. That was like one of the best meals I've ever had. Yeah. You know, and... um so that would be the the second one, the third one. Well, well hold it. We'll, oh, we'll go sorry. around the table. That's oh, all sorry. Right. We'll go around the table. That's my problem with this category was, you know, barbecue gets interpreted a lot of different ways. Sure. Are we talking about smoking, slow smoking? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about grilling like beef steaks or or 
you know, something where you're barbecuing with, you know, you're slathering sauce on it. So I kind of went three different directions, but, but my first one is a traditional thing and it's my grandfather, grandfather through my father and now to us barbecued pork steaks. So the pork steak is a poor man's cut. It's the pork butt sliced into steaks. My parents and grandparents came from fairly meager means. And so, and my grandfather knew how to do it. And he taught my dad who taught us, you got to get it tender. But grandpa would get it cut a little bit on the thin side and then do it on a higher heat faster. Oh my God. The little char along the edge and almost like a Korean type barbecue, you Mm -hmm. know, that little, uh, little chew, a little char and the sauce and. I, it's just, it's a family tradition now, barbecued pork steak. There's actually something like that in South Africa. They just get it out of the gel. Yeah. And it's yeah. also thin. It's almost like a thick bacon. Right. It's thicker right. than bacon, but it's still yeah. thin. Yeah. Yeah. And they would do it exactly the same way. Yeah. It's like that char you're talking about. Yeah. That's what you, you get on there. Yeah. So it became such a big deal that for several years, my brothers and nephews and dad and I had a pork steak cook-off every year and it was a contest and the last the reason we stopped having it was the last one we had there were over 80 people there that people would schedule their vacations around the pork steak cook-off it's like what what time are you having the pork steak cook-off this year it just got to be too much but it was fun but the, the pork the barbecued pork steak if you cut them thicker and you'll go to some like fundraiser barbecues you know where and uh, you'll get them. And it's sort of a local thing, too. You go other places in the country, they don't know what a pork steak is. Mm-hmm. They've never heard of it. Or they think it's a pork chop. If you cut them thicker, you need to do them low and slow. Yeah. It's almost like a, sn- a smoking technique. You you don't cook them faster. They're just too tough. You can't, yeah. you can't mm-hmm. chew them. But, I do uh, a lot of pork steaks, actually. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. slather them with barbecue yeah, sauce. You gotta sauce yeah, you got to sauce them up. You got to – I baste mine. I mm-hmm. I marinate mine. I baste mine. I tenderize them. Yeah. I so. fancier pork chops last night. Yeah, that was good. But I made like almost an Indian um, sauce with it, and that was good. I can't believe I made that. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> so you're really a cook at heart. Yeah, that's right. All right, Turn Bradley. What's your first one? Well, the only since you guys are talking about meat cuts, um, uh, Brenda got me a big old Oklahoma Joe smoker. It's got a firebox mm-hmm. on it. And it's a big old thing. Yep. Yeah, so, it's a nice outfit. Will it so, be in your car? Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know how she got it there. They, they brought it. In, in, unassembled. It, uh, That's how no, it was assembled. It was assembled. Was it was it? assembled. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there is nothing, Bon Vivants, more intimidating than when you get your very first really cool piece of equipment and your first cook on it. Yeah. And so I looked online and they said, okay, here's here's what you need to do. This is the best way, and it really was a smart way. You go get a pork loin, a great big old pork loin. First of all, they're not very expensive. You can get a six, seven pound. They didn't used to be very expensive. Well, they didn't used to be very expensive, and they really weren't. I mean, I went out, so I went out to Schulte's and I said, This is my first smoke, my first cook on this brand new. He goes, Come here, son. He goes, Let me tell you, here's what you need. (laughs) And he gave me this big old. Uncle Meat. And he said, now look, and it was like 99 cents a pound. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. it, if you're going to mess it up, it wasn't like we were going to go broke. And so he said, here's what you do. Now the, now, the trick to this is for you brand new smokers out there, get one that's got a really good fat cap on right, it. That's right. got a nice layer of, cap, of fat across the top because that's what's going to moisturize your, your meat as it, as it cooks. And plus, I put a pan of water under mine, right? And another pan, uh, just where the fire comes in, where the hot comes mm-hmm. in, sure. And so, basically, I'm making a really hot sauna in there. 
And so you poke some holes in the top of that and you slather it with whatever your favorite spices and stuff are. And you put it in there and you go about ah, 225 to 250, yeah. Yeah. about four hours, get it about 145 in the middle. It's, it's fantastic. Perfect. Here's the important thing. It teaches you about your equipment and the heat, how steady your heat is going to be. Uh, you watch your gauges. You, you learn that, you know, sometimes you can have spikes. You know, they'll spike up and all you of a sudden bet. you look in there and it's mm-hmm. 325 and you go, oh man. Uh oh. Yeah. Better back, slow back, it down. You know, and yeah. how you open your vents and yep. that sort of stuff. Yep. But, you know, doing it with $7 worth of meat rather than, Rather than put in a brisket or try something, yeah, yeah, or, try, or trying something like that. Yeah. I mean, so there you go, Bobby Vines. That's my my cooking well, tip, and you can get online, and you, there's there's all kinds of really good little tips for for pork loins, the, and they're good. The other thing about though those slow smoking techniques, and I and it holds true for cooking steaks and other things too, is when you pull them off, you know, you cook them to maybe a little under your temperature, so they'll carry over cook. But you gotta let them rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you cut into that thing immediately, you just shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. You gotta let them rest. Or you so. could even you even wrap them in foil. You know, oh, yeah. put them in foil. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I'm big on the ribs. You know, the three two one technique is the way I do them. Sure. You know, that's that's the way the competition guys do it. Uh, you know, three out, two wrapped, one yep. hot. Right. And to finish them off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is a great way to do your ribs. So I used anyway. to do it like that. Huh? I used to do it like that. Three, two, one. Yep. Now I'm just doing it in the five hour. So well, if you've got a, if you've got an egg, that, if you got that a, works. See, it yeah. all depends yeah. on your equipment, Sean, yeah, too. Does. I mean, it, you know, it just depends well, on. Well, even a pellet smoker will work pretty good. Oh, yeah. I used to do them. I used to do the foil wrap ribs on my Weber indirect cook. Sure. You know, pile yeah. the coals on one side and, and cause I didn't have a slow smoker. So I had Did to you put a pan cook. of water down there too. I didn't. Um, but when you wrap them in foil like that, they kind of retain mm. their own, they kind of create their own steam. So, right. yeah, they do. so, well, my second one was, um, I went with barbecued shrimp from Glenn's cafe. So there's a little place <laughs> It used to be in Boonville. It's in Columbia, uh, or vice versa. I ordered this. I love shrimp anyway. And I ordered the barbecued shrimp. Not really knowing what to expect. They're good. They're so good, and they're hotter than Hades. This it's it's got to be like a Cajun type spice or a, a New Orleans type spice mix. If you get it on your lips or outside your lips, it burns. It's so hot, <laughs> but it's so good. So it's not traditional barbecue, but it's named on the menu barbecued shrimp. And so from, there's a lot of ways to do barbecue shrimp. Yeah. And there's a, there's a place in New Orleans called Giacomo's. Yeah. And the best, best barbecue shrimp I've ever had in my life. Well, They're the, huge. First of all, you're yeah. down in the Gulf and mm-hmm. you get you know, yeah, shrimp. These, these, are prawn. these are prawns. These right. are huge. Right. Um, but, but they're so sweet. You know, the shrimp are so sweet. They're not overcooked. They're not dried out. They're moist because it's in the shell. You know, you right. get them in the shell and you peel them and eat them. But oh my gosh, they're so good. Yeah. Ones I had yeah. were head on. They yeah. Were- and the head on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They were the full thing. But, uh, so where, where you lived in South Africa, were you, were you close to the ocean then? Were yeah. You, we were. So you got the good seafood. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, we were pretty lucky. You can get real spoiled if you uh-huh. live yeah. somewhere that you get, yeah. uh, you know, like Gulf Coast, you know, in the United States or down in Florida and stuff, and you can get fresh seafood is is a lot of fun. But, I mean, we, we've been pretty happy just living in the Midwest. We could still get our hands on pretty good seafood. You can. I with mean, with you flash can. freezing mm-hmm. and the way they transport stuff mm-hmm. nowadays, you're right. It's, you know, a lot of stuff, the big stuff's caught and flash frozen on the boat mm-hmm. before it even gets to shore. Yep. So, yeah, you can get you can get good seafood here. But it, it is different than coming right off the boat yeah yeah when you're going down to the dock, it is so. and you go down to the gulf you get you know you've got different kinds of shrimp too you've got the mm-hmm. royal reds which i consider to be the candy of the sea i mean yeah you dip those in anything you should be shot yeah. i mean they're just they're so good brenda brought back some and you you freeze them in a block of ice mm-hmm. because they came from wow. the water you freeze them in the water and that and then they don't get dried out they just pretty much are suspended the way they are yeah we got to get into those too. Yeah, yeah. we've got those when, in the freezer. When are we going to do that? Yeah, when are we going to do that? <laughs> All right, Sean, you got another one? Well, it's a future plan, so this is my bucket list. I want to just go down to Texas and try those guys' barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Texas is a different style. There's no doubt about it. Interestingly enough, yeah, I good, have, good segue to I Texas. have a little something here because yeah. I was in Austin. All right, we you had go a, next. Then. We had a meeting down in Austin, and yeah. there's a there's they've got so many open pit places down there you will just Mm -hmm. but but one of them's called it's kind of famous the county line county line barbecue county line barbecue but i went to the original one the one on the hill which is the one right there in austin right and the reason i i put that down first of all we had it uh family style because we all sat at this big long table oh my god it was but you know what i really remember though they did a smoked German sausage down there, and they brought the links out, yeah. and they were they would make Herman proud. Let mm-hmm. me tell you, yeah. they were fantastic. The place is it, it it's it's a beautiful place. It looks out over the river, and it's just uh, it was. But I yeah, getting to go to the county line and being a barbecue guy, I was like, <laughs> this is great. So there are arguments all the time about barbecue around the country and of course we here in missouri are very proud of our kansas city style barbecue you have memphis who has their own style the carolinas has a different style texas has a completely different style in that they do a lot of a lot more beef a lot more beef than pork yeah but you know in my travels i can tell you that you can find good barbecue anywhere in this country now it is not just in certain locations or certain parts of the country. There are good barbecue places everywhere, and you have to seek them out. But but Texas is completely different. And those giant beef ribs that they do in Texas. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. oh my like gosh. the Flintstones. Yeah, yeah they're completely they're different. Mm-hmm. So, But to your yeah. point, one of, my, one of my favorite places is Virgil's. Virgil's is right in the middle of Manhattan in New York City. Yeah, that's a prime example. Yeah, yeah Virgil's example. is amazing. Now, needless to say, the people that own Virgil's came from Oklahoma. <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, right. But, but Virgil's is packed all the time. Kent took me, my brother, he lives in Manhattan, and so... Yeah, seems wrong, but there's a few other places to eat in New York City. But well, when you talk about people doing barbecue correctly all over the place, the pulled pork, the brisket, ribs, you know that kind of thing. My third selection was something a little different, and it's the pork belly at flyover. <laughs> so I sat at the pass one day and got to talk to the chef, and he actually told me how he did this, and I've tried to replicate it, and I, I came pretty close. But he takes pork belly, he brines it first, 
and then he, he, he rubs it down and slow smokes it and then throws it in the refrigerator overnight and then cubes it up and then coats it again in his dry rub and throws it back on the grill and then glazes it with a sweet, hot sauce. So it's like candy. It's like candied pork belly. We had those. Oh, my God. You know, when I first ordered it, they brought out this little bowl. With a door in it? I'm like, what? What? What the hell? What? You just give me this little bowl of you can't eat more. It's so rich. It's so fatty that. And you talk about cutting something with a really good red Mm -hmm. wine, really good acetic wine. Oh, beautiful pork belly. Pork belly. That's my anywhere. Well, anywhere, anywhere, anytime. I'll order pork belly. Just about. It's just so good. Yeah. We make this thing in South Africa. I have not tried it, but supposedly it's really good. So they take the pork belly, right? And they take the, um, they call it the net fit. So it's actually the lining of the belly. Yeah. And then, um, they would cut up the belly and then they would wrap the, the fat. Right. On, the, they call it a little tortoise or something like that. And then barbecue that. Yeah. Cardiologists really recommend it. I bet. <laughs> once. Only Instant, once. Yeah. Instant business. Yeah. Yeah. You so. can have, you can have one of these every five years. Uh, we got to give a shout out to uh, John from Sweet Smoke locally. He's one of our favorite barbecue guys. He's doing it right. When you get down and, to uh, Jeff City, come down to Sweet yeah. Smoke Barbecue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, really good. Come and see us really sometime. Good. We'll we'll entertain you. And there's and, another uh, one. I'm I'm yeah, I'm, I'm sympathetic to because it's called Jones Barbecue. It's down in Camden. Smoking Jones. Smoking Jones, man, down in Camden, down at the Lake of the Ozarks. They're great. And then I have I also have a shout out to Bubba's Barbecue in Springfield. I get these craving for their their baby back ribs, and they have a sandwich called the Three Pig. <laughs> if you order the three pig, just automatically order a to-go box with it because you cannot even get halfway around right. this thing. It's huge, but it's good. So the only other one I had was uh, was just because there was a story to it. I, we went to a Chiefs game with some guys, and we ordered all this Gates barbecue. Yeah, Gates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of them dumped about a quarter of a quart of sauce in the back of my van and so the van smelled like gates barbecue for months i mean they I should could, make that a car wash air freshener yeah. <laughs> they should would you like pine new car or gates barbecue i wasn't complaining all that much but after a while it was like this thing still smells like barbecue probably sauce. made you yeah. hungry all yeah. the time yeah it did well it kind of made me want to go for the real thing you yeah. know they, it's kind of teasing you you you're running around no in kidding. the gates mobile with no gates so yeah uh. Well, this has been fun, Sean. We really appreciate you coming on the show with us and ha- actually hosting us, uh, having us down here again, continuing the tradition of the guests providing the alcohol. That's even better. Yes, we are, we are now only picking guests that provide provide our, our drinks for us. But uh, nothing wrong with that. Barvino's our bottle sponsor, and uh, they have. Well, you can uh, find Missouri wines and Stone Hill Missouri, wines. There. Yes, Missouri sir. wines down at Barvino. You bet. We yes. don't want to forget them. So, all right. We haven't thanked our musical director for a while, Mr. David Baker, who's doing all kinds of interesting things. Yes, he is. And so we'll have uh, him on the show again soon. Oh, uh, we'll get soon. we'll get David on. Got a big yeah, summer sure. ahead of us. Yep, we do. We We're going to be do. traveling some Bon Vivant, so be we ready. We are. We've got some fun stuff coming up. We yep. got some musicians, and we got some. We got all kinds of stuff coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sean, it's been great. Yeah, thanks Thank for you. fun. Yeah, a thanks for. Uh, it's a great way killing us. At, oh, Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Bon Vivants, we'll see you next time, and uh, cheers. Cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, 
go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like like that that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.